Welcome to the Gestalt IT Rundown, where each time we meet, we run down the IT news of the week with a spark of stringent wit. I'm your host, Stephen Foskett. Joining me today is a surprise, a new co-host, Zach DeMeyer. Welcome to the show, Zach. Thanks, Stephen. I'm so excited to be here. Uh, just recently joined Gestalt IT and have recently been writing a lot about, you know, just everything, uh, the whole gamut of the enterprise IT industry. So excited to be here for my first rundown. Well, it's great to have you uh, both here on the rundown as well as at gestaltit.com. Thank you. So today we're going to do our normal thing where we dive into the news of the week in enterprise tech. And as always, we're going to start with some shorter takes on uh, some stories that we've seen this week before we progress into some uh, longer, closer looks. So, Zach, uh, we've been speaking on the show about the uh, ransomware attacks seemingly every single week. And this week, we see a story where several of the Kaseya or Kaesa or whatever they're called, <laughs> several of their customers are refusing to pay for the software now that they've uh, been targeted for ransomware. Uh, are these customers in the right, having been made the victims of this arr, evil attack? And is uh, Kaesa doing their, uh, getting their just desserts? Or should customers be a little bit more supportive of their software vendors? You know, that's a great question. And honestly, I think from the customer's perspective, the fact that they have been, you know, a, a victims of these attacks means that it's, uh, it's really not, it's, you know, it's not their fault and uh, it is their problem. And unfortunately for them, they have to deal with the, the backlash and, and everything that's happening after this, our evil attack. And so in my opinion, you know, I think that these people are, are well within their rights to say, hey, KSA, you guys messed up. And as such, we're just not going to pay you. Uh, we're already having to pay enough in ransomware fees to just get our information back. So, uh, you know, maybe your service just isn't worth it for us right now. On to our next story. Uh, this one, we, uh, we just found out that the powerhouse chip maker, Broadcom, is going to continue the momentum they've been building over the past several years by acquiring practically all companies within their grasp and are now focusing on the SAS Institute as their next target. Uh, having been previously rebuffed by the Trump administration in an attempt to acquire their rival chipmaker Qualcomm, Broadcom is looking to diversify their portfolio to include software uh, as well as hardware, an effort made apparent by their most recent acquisitions of CA Technologies and Symantec. Uh, Stephen, how do you think that the SaaS acquisition will bolster the Broadcom family of products? Well, this one's really interesting for me because, uh, you know, full disclosure, I studied uh... Uh, sociology in college, and uh, the, one of the tools that I used was SAS. Um, if you can believe it, uh, this is an old company. This company was founded um, many, many years ago. It's based on uh, research from the 1960s, and it still has the original founding members leading it. Uh, frankly, I think that they were probably ready to sell. Um, it, it, SAS has done a really nice job of uh, continuing their relevance from the timeshare and mainframe era all the way up through microcomputers, which is when I was using it, and now to the cloud. And uh, frankly, uh, they've got a large customer base, a dedicated base in the research and science areas. And, um, you know, it's probably pretty good business. Uh, that being said, it's not a really exciting business. And it may surprise some people that Broadcom would be the company 
that uh, would be acquiring something like SAS or CA. Um, I, I, maybe Quest is for sale. Um, you know, I mean, there, there's just so many, uh, so many of these software makers out there that have good business, uh, lots of customers, and just keep selling stuff forever. Um, it is interesting, though, that Broadcom is pivoting so hard. Um, essentially, this was a, a Singapore-based uh, chip maker that uh, decided to totally change what they're doing and get to, you know, they moved to the United States. They started focusing on enterprise software, uh, focusing away from their core chip making business and are now acting a little bit like a soft bank or something like that, where they own a little bit of everything. So uh, frankly, um, it's interesting, but I'm kind of not sure what's going on here uh, with all these acquisitions either. Um, Speaking of uh, buying and selling uh, unusual things, um, we've talked a little bit about quantum computing in the past on the rundown, and it was a favorite topic of our uh, esteemed colleague, Mr. Richard Straffolino. Um, it was considered a thing of, of fiction, and frankly, even today, some people might think that uh, quantum computing remains fiction. Uh, but a quantum computing startup uh, from the Netherlands, Quantware, uh, wants to make uh, quantum computing something that you can buy. No, you. Uh, the company uh, right now sells and ships quantum processors uh, through companies like Google and IBM and Rigetti. But now you can purchase a quantum processor of your very own with up to five transmon qubits with 99.9% .9 fidelity from Quantware. Uh, they claim that by 2025, quantum computing will surpass the capabilities of standard computers. Uh, we've heard that before. Uh, with this in mind, do you think that uh, we're going to see a more widespread adoption of quantum processing, quantum computing, and how about in the enterprise? You know, that's a really great question, Stephen. And and honestly, it's it's one that you know really kind of makes you question what what the quantum computing realm really will be able to provide to to both consumers and the enterprise as a whole uh you know obviously when at tip-top performance it's able to far surpass the capabilities of of your you know normal bits ones and zeros type chips uh but you know this uh schrodinger's chip if you will uh, you know, when, when they are used at such high capacity, you need massive cooling systems and really quite a bit of, you know, accessory infrastructure, if you will, to operate at, at the levels that people really need them to, which is why folks like Google, IBM and Rigetti are, are offering them in a sort of like cloud, uh, you know, as a service type offering, uh, just because they, they have the resources and have the ability to, to, to be able to provide it at such a scale. But, I think the thing that we're seeing right now that is going to be most difficult for, for Quantware is really the ability to mass produce them at a scale that is going to be both, uh, you know, adoptable, but then also sustainable. Because uh, like you said, you know, they, they're only uh, capable at the current time of, of doing five transmon qubits uh, or performing to that level. And, and yeah, I just don't think it's it's going to be uh, feasible for anyone to really consider, you know, completely shifting their operations. But maybe we'll see them in, uh, you know, some smaller scale uh, type type realms, and and perhaps, uh, you know, maybe they'll kind of be the next, you know, a, like we've we've said earlier, uh, AI, you know, used to be kind of a a fad, if you will, and and now is really kind of taking hold in the enterprise. So, who knows? It, uh, it I doubt that twenty twenty five will be uh, you know, the date for it, but maybe, maybe a few years in the future, we might actually be seeing a, a more wide scale adoption of it.
So uh, there, this, uh, this, there's an interesting bit of news that you know has kind of been teased at over the past couple of years, but is now fully confirmed uh, as the solid fire is unfortunately flickering out with David Wright uh, officially announcing that he will be departing from NetApp to helm a fintech company based out of Denver, Colorado, uh, where I am currently. Uh, although the move, you know, like I said, has been a few years in the making now, it is now, you know, official and he is no longer at the company. And uh, Stephen, I know that you, you, this is a subject that's pretty close to your heart. Could you just share with us a few, a few thoughts you have on the matter? Yeah. So full disclosure, Dave Wright is a friend of mine. Um, <laughs> he's a good guy in the industry. I've known him since the Jungle Disc days and, uh, and good old Jungle Dave uh, really did a great thing with Solid Fire. He built up a company with a wonderful company culture with a lot of great uh, customers and some great technology. And of course they presented quite a lot at Tech Field Day. And uh, in fact, Dave is featured in one of the best of Tech Field Day videos. If you go on YouTube, you can find a video of Dave talking about the all flash storage array market and he just killed it. Um, that's why uh, many of us were sad to see Dave slowly disappear after NetApp acquired SolidFire. Uh, the company uh, was purchased in 2015 for uh, just under $900 million in cash, of which uh, a good portion of that went to my man Dave. And, um, you know, part of us were, were thinking, okay, well, maybe he's off driving his McLaren or something. But uh, truth be told, uh, he has not been all that involved in the company for a few years now. Um, I remember being at the NetApp Insight conference one year and uh, the, the rumor went through the ranks that Dave had left the building and uh, it's kind of sad to see. Well, uh, Dave's back. Uh, he's back with a FinTech company and that's pretty cool. Uh, frankly, the only news here from an enterprise perspective is that it finally confirms that Dave ain't at NetApp anymore. Uh, even though, of course, he's not been there for a while, uh, now we know for sure that uh, that Dave is officially not at NetApp. And uh, frankly, this says a little bit about the state of SolidFire within NetApp, because frankly, NetApp's been uh, really focused on cloud and coming up with next generation platforms that leverage their ONTAP operating system and uh, other acquisitions that they've made since 2015. And SolidFire... Um, kind of isn't it anymore. Well, it's been nice knowing you. So uh, Zach, uh, speaking of acquisitions, uh, Microsoft has confirmed that they are buying a threat intelligence and cloud-based software company, uh, Risk IQ. Uh, the product itself is integral to the discovery and understanding of the Magecart malware that we reported right here on the uh, rundown. And it's about a $500 million deal. Uh, Microsoft looks to expand uh, its security capabilities of their software. And um, in light of the recent attacks uh, against SolarWinds and Kiesa, do you think Microsoft will better enable uh, their ability to detect these attacks through the acquisition of RiskIQ? I think that's a great question, Stephen. And honestly, you know, it it's honestly not a surprising acquisition on Microsoft's part. And in my opinion, you know, they constantly have just been building this suite of products that, you know, has, has come to really just build Microsoft as really one of, if not the biggest names in the industry. And, and with just so many, like, you know, like you said, with Kiesa and, and SolarWinds and so many other breaches going on, uh, 
the sort of ubiquity, if you will, of Microsoft products means that a lot of these people who were targeted by these attacks are also using Microsoft products just uh, just by the nature of the game. And and so I think the fact that they're trying to roll it all into their their big overarching uh, umbrella, if you will, is something that is at least a bit heartening for for folks who have been really concerned and affected by these attacks. Uh, I think having the ability to you know not necessarily look into the future per se, but look into the present and get an idea of of the the threat landscape as it sits and you know identify potential sources of of risk uh across their fleet you know even if they're just running microsoft word is going to be something that is going to be really helpful for a, a lot of companies to be able be able to at least uh you know there's there's no silver bullet in security by any means but this this seems like a good way to help people protect themselves a little bit better and and really have a better understanding of of what they're getting into as they you know go surfing across the internet or you know get an email with a potentially phony link or something like that and and so this uh i think this move ultimately will be a good one provided that they roll it out in a in a way that is going to be beneficial for everyone involved and uh, honestly, it's always good to see when a vendor like Microsoft gets more capability like that. So um, sure, sounds good to me. So now let's turn our attention to a couple of stories that are having a bigger impact on the news uh, this week. Uh, <laughs> speaking of the gifts that keep on giving, um, have you heard of this company, Solar, oh, what is it? Solar Winds, right? Have you heard of them? Uh, and Once or twice. Zero day attacks and malware. Well, guess what? Uh, SolarWinds is back in the news. Uh, as if things weren't bad enough already, uh, SolarWinds, uh, who, which, as you remember, fell victim to one of the largest and most publicized and most mother knowing about it cyber attacks in the history of technology, um, <laughs> has been targeted with another different zero day vulnerability. Uh, this new vulnerability allows attackers to get into SolarWinds software distribution toolchain. Um, even though we don't know a lot of the details about it, um, what do you think, Zach? Is it time for SolarWinds to hang their hats in shame? Or should they just keep pressing on amidst the fact that they continually get targeted by malware gangs? Yeah, I mean, speaking of shame, you know, there's an old adage, I'm sure you've heard it, uh, fool me once, shame on you. And clearly the initial solar winds attack, shame, shame on the attackers there, but fool me twice, shame on me. And it, it, uh, it seems that that solar winds here is, uh, yeah, they, they just really need to, uh, get their stuff together because it's, uh, it's just one after another, after another. And, uh, you know, I, I don't personally use solar winds, but I can only imagine that their customers, especially the ones who are being specific, specifically targeted by these attacks, are probably pretty fed up with just the company as a whole. And, uh, you know, it's it's an interesting sort of prospect for the industry uh, to take a slightly macabre note, you know. It'll allow, you know, companies who have been kind of butting up against solar winds for years now to kind of advance themselves in the industry and make more of a name for themselves now that their biggest competitor is, uh, you know, more or less had their, their reputation quite tainted. And, uh, yeah, it's... It's ultimately just a really a question of what's going on at SolarWinds and why they've allowed themselves to really just fall victim again. You know, you'd think after such a big attack the first time, they really would have kind of battened down the hatches and 
and invested very heavily in, in finding ways to just tighten up all of the little holes in, in their net to, to just make sure that nothing is slipping through and, and getting at them, especially just considering the sheer gravity of, of the initial attack. So I'm really just scratching my head here, honestly, just curious that they, yeah, it's, it seems like such a, um, you know, such a, just a, a letdown by solar winds, especially for the customers who have still held on despite everything that has gone on. I feel like they've really kind of just once again, let them down in, in a way that's uh, pretty big. Um, Steven, do you, do you have anything else to add to that? Yeah, I would say that um, I do have some sympathy for them uh, because frankly, the truth is that SolarWinds is a company that is known to produce a lot of different tools. Um, that's kind of their thing. So unlike, I don't know, SAS Institute, which has, you know, SAS, I mean, that's their thing, right? I mean, they make this one big uh, product that's used all over the place, uh, you know, I mean, Salesforce. So what do they make? Oh yeah, Salesforce. Um, SolarWinds makes probably a hundred or more different software widgets and doodads. And um, I mean, as we know, this is kind of how things go with software. There's, there's gonna be a zero day, uh, there's gonna be a, pr a problem, there's gonna be a hole, and, and hopefully the companies catch them quickly. Uh, in this case, by the way, just to kind of clarify what it was, um, they have a, a, a pair of products called ServeU, uh, and they are a, a managed file transfer and an FTP server. Um, essentially, this is a really low level nuts and bolts piece of IT uh, software that allows people to transfer files between uh, locations and from, from customers and so on. Um, really not a sexy, exciting, high-end product, uh, but apparently it had a zero day in it. And apparently that zero day has been actively exploited. So am I saying that SolarWinds should be given a pass for having yet another high profile vulnerability discovered and exploited by the bad guys? No, no, they should definitely be trying to fix these things. On the other hand, am I surprised that uh, something I've literally never heard of in the SolarWinds portfolio has a hole in it? Yeah, not really either, because frankly, uh, that's what happens with the software. Absolutely. Well, our sympathies go out to SolarWinds. I can only imagine how, how tough this time must be for them. And for their um, customers. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, so speaking of stories that have been covered quite extensively on, on the rundown, we uh, are going even deeper down the Jedi hole, um, or shall we say the JWCC, uh, which, you know, last week you guys kind of went back and forth about things to call it, and I'm putting my hat into the ring with Jay Wookie. Uh, I think that that's, that's going to really stick. So anyways, uh, amidst, amidst the resurfacing of the defense contract, uh, there are some members of the U.S. Congress that believe that Amazon may have been more involved in attempting to win over the initial contract than they initially let on. A uh, representative from Colorado and a senator from Utah have recently filed a joint statement declaring that they believe Amazon attempted to circumvent ethical boundaries in order to win the initial Jedi contract and want representatives of the company to testify under oath before Congress about these claims. Uh, in light of this and, you know, the upcoming bidding for the J-Wookie, J-W-C-C uh, contract. Do you, uh, what, what do you think this is going to have uh, by way of effects to Amazon's uh, claim in the race, if you will? Nothing. <laughs> no, I, I, I am honestly, I think it's an interesting story. Um, I think the most interesting thing is that it just shows how these things happen, how these companies 
sell to the government. And apparently there was some pretty heavy handed pitching of the Amazon product. Uh, I, I love that, uh, yeah, so uh, one of the former Defense Secretary Jim Mattis's uh, advisors uh, reportedly called Jeff Bezos uh, the genius of our age, as mm. everyone who listens to the rundown on a weekly basis knows, we hardly agree with that assessment. Um, <laughs> and apparently uh, Mattis was fairly uncomfortable with the way that uh, some of his folks were praising Amazon's AWS offering. Um, uh, knowing something about cloud computing though and public cloud services, I can imagine that the uh, technical superiority of one product versus the competitive uh, options might take someone aback and make someone think that they were being uh, astroturfed by, uh, by praise there. Um, quite frankly, uh, I remember at the time that the Jedi contract was awarded to Amazon thinking that it was a slam dunk no brainer that Amazon would win it. Uh, when Microsoft got into the ring and there was all the political stuff and then Microsoft won it, I remember thinking, eh, okay, they gave it to the B player. Um, now, uh, who knows what's going to happen? Uh, I'll call attention as well to the take of a good friend of mine, Kurt Marco, over at Diginomica.com. Uh, Kurt compares a lot of what's going on here to traditional defense procurement, uh, where essentially, instead of uh, picking a winning product, the Defense Department sometimes uh, tries to please everyone. Uh, frankly, uh, the J-Wookie or Jawa or whatever you're going to call it, this new contract is starting to look a little more like the space launch system, the SLS, which is produced in basically every state um, by basically everyone, uh, doesn't do anything that anyone actually wants, and yet cannot be killed because it is produced in every state by everyone. Uh, I would not be at all surprised if uh, we find that the JWCC includes literally everyone in the cloud computing space by the time the contract is done. So sure, maybe AWS gets a big share of it, maybe Microsoft gets a big share of it, but I would uh, bet that we're going to see a little bit of Google, a little bit of Oracle, maybe some IBM, maybe some Salesforce, you know, all these different companies involved in, uh, in the final contract, just so that everybody can kind of cover their whatever and say, yeah, we didn't, uh, we didn't just give it to our friends. Um, but of course, again, as my friend Kurt points out and as uh, others have pointed out as well, um, <laughs> that's gonna cause a little bit of problem because one of the biggest challenges as enterprises are finding when they're implementing cloud computing is that multi-cloud brings management challenges and you have trouble uh, orchestrating and integrating services from different vendors. You have trouble, uh, especially in terms of the procurement side of things, paying and contracts and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, from this perspective, I have a feeling that uh, rather than being a next generation war fighting platform, the JWCC is going to be a typical government boondoggle. Yep. I, uh, I, I feel that you can only be right here, Stephen. It, it really seems like it's just becoming more of a miasma of this, uh, you know, he said, he said, she said sort of thing where, uh, you know, people are, are getting thrown under the proverbial bus for, like you said, just uh, just showing off the capabilities of their tech. And, and at the end of the day, it probably will be some sort of amalgam of, of cloud providers just to keep everyone happy, you know, give everyone the, the blue participation ribbon and uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll, time will tell, I guess.
Well, thanks a lot, Zach, for joining us and uh, look forward to seeing you uh, in the next few weeks here as you co-host the rundown with me and uh, later with Tom as well. Um, glad to have you on board. Glad to have you writing for Gestalt IT. For those of you watching, uh, thank you for joining us as well. Uh, I would call your attention to a couple other things that are happening this week uh, from Gestalt IT. Uh, number one, yesterday uh, was a special event with Cisco where we talked about some of their cloud uh, capabilities, including their uh, uh, Thousand Eyes acquisition and the next generation uh, UCS server platform. So if you go to techfieldday.com, you can see videos of that. Also happening all week is our Mobility Field Day event, which is where your favorite Tom Hollingsworth is. So please do as well, head to techfieldday.com or find us on LinkedIn uh, and you can watch live streaming video of our Mobility Field Day event. Uh, Zach, is there something that you've written or done recently that you'd like to call attention to? Oh, plenty of things. I'm, I'm always writing, uh, but some in particular that I've been really fond of recently, I've been writing a lot of posts kind of just introducing, if you will, our delegates and, you know, some of the various faces and names that you'll see at uh, any of these upcoming field day events, especially mobile, mobility field day. So if you'd like to get to know the delegates a bit more, just pop on over to gestaltit.com and give those a read. It's, it's really interesting. There are some very, very fun and dedicated people. So I'm sure you'll like it. Well, thanks a lot, Zach, and thank you, everybody. Remember that the Gestalt IT Rundown is available as a podcast as well as on YouTube every Wednesday at 1230. And uh, you can find it on YouTube recordings of this show at uh, YouTube slash Gestalt IT video. We also post the videos on our Facebook page, uh, facebook.com slash Gestalt IT, as well as other social media channels. We'll be back next Wednesday for talk about uh, the IT news of the week that was. But until then, for myself and for Zach DeMeyer and all of us here in the Gestalt IT family, here's wishing you and yours a happy, happy day. <laughs>